Hello, beautiful light-filled souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I'm excited to let you know that the second annual online near-death experience summit is coming up this June 23rd with speakers Dr. Raymond Moody, Lisa Smart, Dr. Jeffrey Long, Dr. Eben Alexander, Karen Newell, Nancy Rines, Howard Storm, Paul Perry, David Ditchfield, Leslie Lupo, Kimberly Clark Sharp, Dr. Tony Chicoria, John Burke, Jose Hernandez, and me, your host. There are plenty of videos to check out ahead of time, but please look at this link and we'd love to have you join. You can get your questions answered by the speakers at this event. And thank you. Thank you so much for your support of my memoir, Angels in the OR, which launched last month. It is such a pleasure to connect with readers and many people have enjoyed the Audible. So if you don't have an Audible subscription, you can have three, 30 days um, for free and get my book that way. But I would love to hear from you and I hope you enjoyed this recording. You can check out these interviews on my YouTube channel. I'm converting many of them over to podcast, but enjoy. Hello, beautiful Lightfold Souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I am so excited to be here with you for another interview with a near-death ex experiencer. Um, Tar Ashaya is here to talk about his amazing near-death experience at a very young age and all the insights that he gained from that and um, his meditation practice and also his intuition that developed from this. I do want to remind you, I have writing workshops available. So if you are interested in writing a book, I love to support people on that journey. And it's been a lot of fun getting together with people on Zoom. Check out the dates in February. And also please check out the link for my book, Angels in the OR. It's been 25 years in the making <laughs> since uh, I had my near-death experience. So I'm happy to share this with you. But let's get right to the interview. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm very well. <laughs> Great. Well, I read a little bit about your near-death experience, and I know that I've seen you um, talking in different uh, forums, but I'd really love it if you would just jump in and tell and set the scene for your near-death experience and then kind of take me through it. I love that energetic feel that I get when I hear um, about someone's near-death experience. Okay. And, and, and please, um, please cut in whenever you need to, uh, you know, so... Uh, to, to sort of structure the flow of this. Awesome. Um, but I, I guess uh, maybe I'll do a, a shortened version, a bit of a truncated version, get right to it. Um, as a child, I'd had a lot of uh, spiritual experiences from the time I was uh, very small, even in the crib. But at about age seven, those, you know, I, I kind of made the decision that I wanted to uh, sort of assimilate and, and, you know, fit into society and develop a personality. So like everybody at, at about that, that age, I really started to kind of get lost and, and you know, you know becoming, becoming uh, you know, sort of more of the ego, egocentric perception. And, and then, you know, things were going really well. I had a, I had a really uh, wonderful nuclear family. Um, it was, you know, school was, you know, academically went, was going very well. I had all these aspirations, uh, that are made perhaps more normal than what my life, uh, turned out afterwards to be. And, and so then I'm, I'm 13, I'm in middle school and it's the second to the last day of school. And, um, 
or the day before, the night before actually is when it really kind of got started. I, I was actually playing a baseball game and I, I got hit by a pitch. I, I didn't dodge it. And apparently my, it got me right on the arm and in a place where that it broke it. And so, so we went and we realized that I had a broken arm and I was at home. And, you know, that was, that was my big uh, complaint that was on my mind. I'm going to miss baseball season this summer. And uh, so I was talking to my mother, like I often did, um, uh, before going to bed and kind of going over the next, the summer and the next day. And all of a sudden, uh, one of those flashes that I, that I had throughout childhood, that's a, a, like lightning, an intuitive flash just came through me and just popped right out my mouth without any sort of thinking or mediation. And it was, mom, are you going to die soon? You know, that, and it, and it, I had never had, I'd never had any concerns with my mother's health. Uh, my, my father, yes, because mayonnaise and bologna sandwiches at that young age I knew were not a good pathway. Uh, <laughs> all that Diet Coke, it did not seem good. So I was often worried about my father, but never my mother. And so it, it really struck me when it came out of my mouth and it struck my mother. I, I, I kind of noticed her just kind of seize up for a second. And then she kind of, you know, came to composure and said, no, I'm going to be I'm going to be around for quite some time, you know, you'll, you'll be able to grow up with me. And, you know, so, so then I felt calmed down. I said, okay, okay. And then I went to bed and, and then I, the next morning I, I woke up and like, like a, like a cartoon character, I, you know, just went from horizontal to, to a 90 degree angle, right as my parents were walking outside my door. And, and I was, I was out of breath. I was panting. And, and it was as if I'd just run into my body from somewhere else. And I was like, I, there's something, I have something I have to tell you. You know, it's just so um, uh, anxious about this. And, and I couldn't remember it. And I was so distraught that I, and I, was, I was like, I can't remember what it is. I can't remember it. It's like I was, I was running and, and some scroll fell out of my back pocket and, and you know, and I left it behind. And so they, they had to take about five to ten minutes to, to calm me down because I was so I was so, um, so distraught. And so they did. And I went to the second to the last day of school and I you know, went to the, you know, awards ceremony, picked up a bunch of awards, um, came home, was, was hanging out with my mom, watching a movie. Then we took my sister to her new job out at the, out at the movie theater on the edge of town. It was her college summer job. And as we're pulling out and going to cross one of those four lane divided highways, it was pretty normal. Uh, it was clear that we weren't going to get hit by any cars. Um, but as it so happened, there was another car that was sort of hidden by two cars that were going the speed limit that was, you know, just for those few seconds, um, you know, going about 20 miles per hour over. And so we were driving and I was, you know, passenging and, and I was looking to my left to talk to my mother. And then that moment, um, just would have been only about, you know, it was right about to hit us. I saw this big Lincoln, gray Lincoln um, right there. And it was so close and going so quick that my mind had, you know, time to register a couple thoughts. And the first one was, was shit, you know, <laughs> and, and it's like, oh shit, you know. And the second one, instead of seizing up and, and panicking immediately, my, my whole system calmed down. I, I started finding myself going into this, expanded state of consciousness, which I'd known throughout um, childhood, you know, especially uh, before age seven. And the thought kind of 
came to my mind, you know, I really thought this one was going to go more than 13 years, you know, <laughs> but I was, I was pretty much, I pretty much knew, felt, you know, you know, through my whole body, oh, the jig is up, you know, oh, uh, no. you know, this, this is it, you know, <laughs> the this, end. this is the end, you know, and I was cool with that. I was completely relaxed and, 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 and right after I had that thought, then the whole um, life flashing before one's eyes happened. And, and up to that point, I was fascinated when I'd, read about this phenomenon or hear about it, I thought, is that even possible? You know, and, and, and sure enough, here, here it was just like a, like, like a real, uh, only this time uh, there was a sense that I was connected with this totally omniscient, completely objective part consciousness, which I had known through life. I'd, I'd often have kind of arguments with it, you know, and it would get to kind of come in and say like, no, don't do that. And I was like, oh, shut up. You know, shut up! I'm going to do it my way, and of course, I'd get into some sort of trouble uh, when when I'd kind of go against the, the 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 advice there. But only here, I was, it was as if I was completely united with it, and completely, completely falling back into this vast spaciousness and letting go of everything. And, and as we sort of, we or I or whatever, we looked through my life together, any place where there was some sort of holding on, uh, any place where I was wearing a mask or I was acting out of fear, any grudges that, that, I, that I held or was holding on to, they were all seen clearly and then just forgiven. You know, Did you just, feel like you were judging yourself, but the consciousness was not judging you or was it some combination? Um, of I, at that point, it was as, as, it was as if the I was, was completely absorbed into that vaster consciousness or you know, nearly mm. completely. There was no harshness to the judgment it was so matter of fact and and, yeah. and just you know and it was very palpable it was like i was taking a, a fully experiential trip back through life and every, it was as if every every place of of tightness or tension or resistance which you know was the judgment or the the pretense all of those were some were clear that there was some sort of resistance against the river of life and where where it was trying to take me and it was taking me where it wanted anyways i was just you know not i was just not enjoying the ride and so um. so it's so it's like with, with, along with sort of the seeing of that aspect there was a palpable release throughout my whole body and and so it felt kind of like um uh, in in my case it felt like there was this thin skin that had been um, on me my whole life that I'd never noticed. And as I was releasing all of it, it felt like it was being taken off me, like the, the skin of a snake. And with, yeah, yeah. With, 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 with each step, there was just such, such a vast opening and such a vast peace and, and joy and, and, and like a, a bliss, uh, as, and, and when we got to the end, it was just, just the sense of being immersed in, a field of infinite love. It w there was a sense that love, um, awareness, clarity, bliss, joy, they were all just different words that were pointing to the same um, fundamental um, layer of being. And, and I, I remembered that, you know, God, it couldn't have taken much more than a second or two to, you know, from the time of seeing the car to get whacked, but it felt like an eternity was in there. Yeah, and it's interesting how a lot of people don't realize that they're dying or near death until they're outside of their body. But you had this consciousness, like as the car was coming, you were like, uh-oh, you know, this is over. <laughs> and then went into that place. And did you, so what, what happened next? Um, 
so what 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 it was kind of like um how i often describe it is that i didn't there was no sense of having to go anywhere to maybe see like the the kingdom of heaven or the, the fundamental reality that's that's hidden behind the veils it was as if all the veils were 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 removed from my experience and even when i looked at the uh, the dashboard or my mother's shoulder everything that was in my sort of perceptual view at the time uh the the scout the 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 sky the beautiful clouds that were present that day the the, the face of the driver who was who seemed to not necessarily be knowing what was happening because i i don't remember those breaks going on um and and there was a sense that underneath all of this was this just just vast light and this vast presence and there was a sense that you know i was no longer simply just in this particular body but i i felt myself in all of those things just just as this vast presence that was spread spread everywhere and then yeah that's... so it kind of sounds like you had a oneness experience and a god experience and a lot of things just like compressed into one moment um mm -hmm. yeah that's really very interesting yeah because that oneness is what a lot of people experience in stages but it, it really sounds like yours was like this atomic blast of like everything you know in that one moment yeah yeah I, I, it was it was a very multi multi sort of dimensional multi-layered thing but yeah it was all it was all pretty much pretty much there and, and so it was like you know being in the kingdom of heaven and i i, I recognized you know, i don't even know if i was thinking but i remember movements of awareness during this there was there's a recognition that this is life you know this is this you know state of freedom this state of not holding on and not having all this all these barriers and masks this was what life was meant to be there was this sense and there was this this knowing and recognition in, in my heart uh, as well of all the times that in, in my life that i had touched this place and and, and many of them i i was actually conscious that i was touching a place and there are other times where it was like you know the music was playing i was dancing to it but i was i was unconscious that you know of, of the particular song that was moving me and mm -hmm. and and so then you know that that was there and then you know whack um and, and you yeah. alluded to knowing just as you're about to die like you've done this before did you have an awareness of many lives um when you were on the other side or no no and in, in, in fact um it, you know I probably wasn't so perspicacious. I was so distract, distracted by the sense of this beautiful, beautiful sense of, you know, being everywhere with, with one light that um, it was just a total experience. And, mm. and, and it's funny about the other side that, that, you know, I don't, I don't want to digress too much, but as a child, I'd had a lot of experience uh, with yeah. that sort of stuff, you know, like ghosts and things like that, especially as a young child, I would, you know, like they'd come into my room and then I'd go into this meditation and, and then, you know, bring the, invoke the light and then they'd be gone. And, and so there was, mm -hmm. there was always a kind of a dance with, with that side, but there, there, at a certain point, there wasn't that, that sort of fundamental sense of oneness in, in which there was, you know, no fear possible. Right. And, and yeah. so this, it was, it was that, that might've been the most, the most important facets of, of the, you know, experience in the accident was the, the complete lack of the, you know, I couldn't even be afraid. Wow. You no, know, I, I, I couldn't at all. And, yeah. And then I do want to get to the reality of what happened. So, um, you know, what happened to your body and what happened to your mom and, you know, how bad was the accident? And were you, 
did you stay in that place or did you have to come, you know, and be traumatized and experience <laughs> uh, it all? Both, maybe <laughs> both, <laughs> both and. Uh, th yeah, there was definitely whack, you know, and I remember, um, you know, a little bit before, I was definitely, I was certainly concussed and I knew yeah. I was concussed because like I didn't know my name, you know. Oh, wow. And then I remember like, you know, we were hit, I hit my head on the, on the, the window, but it didn't break and I didn't have any bruising. So that was interesting. Mm -hmm. I remembered the whack of, and, and then I was knocked out, but there was no bruising. There was no damage on my body. I mean, the, the, the you know, uh, my, my gallows humor here, we were headed to the same hospital where we ended up anyways, which is weird, um, strange, because we were going to get a cast on my right arm because it was, it was oh. broken. I had it in a sling and that wasn't further damaged except I, I ended up breaking my middle finger. And so I, I went the summer with a cast that on my arm that had an, uh, had an extension there. So it's just, it was, it was kind of funny, you know, I, I couldn't like miss the humor of that. And, you know, right. signed the cast and they said, you know, they thought that was cool too, being teenagers. Right. Um, and that was part of my general attitude, having just lost my mother was, you know, I, it, I went, well, I, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit, won't get ahead of the story, but yeah, I, I, I came to, um, and we were pretty well far from, where where the um, the the impact happened? It, there was a lot of force involved there, and my mother got the the bulk of it. And I I remember waking up, coming to to the sound of the the seatbelt dinger going off, and my mother had very labored breathing. You know, it's, it's, she she got all that energy, and they you know the the car was pretty well totaled, and. And they were using the the big skill saw. I suppose they call them jaws of life, but it was a saw. So I don't know if they're, they're two different kinds of tools. But anyways, they were having to cut the, the doors off. And and so I remember the doors being cut off and then paramedics, you know, coming in and, and you know, very carefully handling my body, making sure you know, they thought I reckon I probably had some neck injury or something. And so they were being, you know, getting me out of there and getting getting us both onto stretchers and I remember remember the the view of the the paramedics and the view of the sky again. You know, I, as I was coming to, and they were asking me my name, and I was saying like, "I'm sorry, I really have no idea that answer." But that she's she's my mother. You know, I know that, and that was the only thing I really knew. Yeah. And they 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 took us into the ambulance, and and like like I suppose a lot of people, while I was in the shoulder strap in the gurney, there was I had sort of uh, two points of awareness. So there was the, the normal awareness of being in your body and, you know, kind of looking up at the people asking you questions and putting the flashlight, you know, over your eye and you know, talking to you, uh, keeping you there. And, but there was also this sense of, again, this sort of diffuse non-locality non to my consciousness. I, I felt like I was also looking down on my body from the ceiling, but also I felt myself in the sky and in, in the people and in my mother and and she she spoke to me a couple a couple times. She she was really struggling. I could hear her breathing. That was the, um, you know the almost the main facet of experience was was I was paying attention to that. And she she called my name out twice, and I said I'm okay, mom. Twice, and on the second time I felt her register it, and and she immediately her her breathing went from this really labored uh, breathing to this. <sighs> you know, just like letting it go, letting it all go. And, and I felt her, you know, as when she was speaking to me, there was a sense of her words and where they were coming from were within me as well. So the, the best I can explain that we felt like we were floating in the same, you know, basic 
um, substance which which united us and and so some people might call that if does she die right there like a shared death experience or the beginning of one like you were she she may have because I, I felt her I felt her leave um, mm -hmm. and I didn't register that as death you know kind <laughs> yeah. you know it was a little bit foggy in my faculties uh, at the time but I felt as her breath went out I felt I felt her her kind of you know as if as if sort of rising out of that body or just you know becoming sort of diffuse herself mm -hmm. and and so you know I didn't know that meant she, that she was dead and and you know the next thing I knew I'm I'm being wheeled into a hospital room and I know that they're you know trying to save my mother's life you know behind some curtains back there I, I couldn't look or see because they still thought I might be really you know I was number two she was clearly damaged but they thought that I also might have some serious you know spinal type things and so I was you know down on a gurney and then the next I knew my you know my sister's there and she's got her out of her workplace and she's with me and and then my dad you know comes out and he says you know I'm sorry your mother's gone and you know that was just you know that there I'm back in my body and human emotions again and you know I'm absolutely like a like a like somebody took a medicine ball and threw it into my stomach as hard as they could and you know I'm just crying and and you know we're sort of they, they realized I didn't have any injuries and so I'm, I'm up out of the gurney and we're walking out the hallway and the Lutheran social services um, people are are there with well-intentioned hugs that I wasn't necessarily interested in you know, right. just wanted to kind of just wanted to kind of you know have you know my freedom of movement and to kind of go out and and you know we're, we're picked up uh, by friends of the family and, and brought home and it's you know just you know just the there's that emotional devastation that that's there that's totally raw and at the same time there is this this vast consciousness which um you know at that point my faculties were coming back and i thought oh i must this must be shock you know this is the shock i've i've heard about yes and, yes and the, you know your story reminds me a little bit of um jeff olson's story you know like the car wreck and and the profound loss you know of someone that at the same time so it um it's really interesting to go through both at the same time usually you know when people have a near-death experience it's all about themselves and their body and their recovery but you had grief and a near-death experience and the shock and the trauma and you were young what fascinated me is that you use meditation to find peace, but how long before you got into that space? Was that right away or did you, you know, have a year or so of just grief and shock or? Well, well, one of the interesting things was, was right after the, the I, I knew it wasn't shock afterwards. It was, it was interesting. I, I, that, that sort of sense of oneness and that sort of sense of this kind of vast dimension that it, it, it was there. And even though I was, I was, mm -hmm. uh, it was like I was going through all of uh, Elizabeth Kubler Ross's stages of grief, just like a textbook, you know, right. just like, just like, whoa, she knew what she was talking about, you know, this is yes. happening. In the, there's, I'm not doing anything to make this. Is, this is just going on. The organism. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Like, I was shocked. We think that maybe if you have a near death experience, you're beyond it. So when I lost my dad, I remember, like, food didn't taste good. I remember that first bite, and I was like, Oh, I'm depressed. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's that. <laughs> yeah, there was this, there was, for me, there was this dual experience. So I had, it was like having the waterfall of emotion happening, but at the same time, there was this vast cave that I was sitting in. You know, I wasn't, mm -hmm. and, and I wasn't like a detached, 
I, I wasn't detached from life. I was closer to it. You know, I wasn't, I, there was this vast silence and I, and I realized, I thought, what is this? It's like, after it lasted for, for more than a week, I'm saying like, this ain't shock. And, and then the other, the other interesting thing was that when I, I could play with it, I could feel it in others. I could see it in the trees. I could, I, when I could put my attention more into it, kind of like um, I could, I could take my mind off of the, the thoughts and the feelings and I could relax back into the space. And when I would do that bliss and, and joy would, would just flood my body. And I'm saying like, you're not supposed to be feeling bliss and joy. This is peculiar. You know, it was, I, you know, cause there was, there was, you know, clearly a, a damaged, the damaged psyche of a, of a 13 year old who'd lost their mother. But at the same time, there was this, this bliss and joy and even just ancient wisdom and intuitive um, um, uh, and heightened, heightened intuition and perceptions and, and heightened empathy. And in, in, in a sense, like people weren't fooling me anymore. I, I, I see more deeply into them. Yes, and, yeah. yes. I know what you mean. And isn't that incredibly powerful? It's a powerful gift, I think, that we can give people in the midst of the worst suffering, though you still can access that. I mean, and that's what your story teaches us. And I think that's Part of what my story teaches people too is like in the midst of horrific moments, yes. you still can find that yeah. bliss. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, I might have, I might have I, I required that to happen. You know, to yeah. I could see that if my mother hadn't died, I, I would have had, I would probably have not reached some of the places that I've gone back to so quickly because the motivation simply might not have been there. I could have coasted in a very relatively happy and outwardly successful kind of life. And, you know, who knows, but, um, you know, the wound within the wounds are the blessings for, for so many of us. And yes. Yes. It's true. You know, you think of great philosophers or, or people who are pushed to the edge of society, they have a different vantage point. So to go through something incredibly painful and enlightening at the same time, I mean, it does put you in this position to start viewing the world differently. And yeah. it sounds like you're dead because not your average teenager doesn't meditate six hours a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that took a little while longer. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, I noticed that that state that or whatever it was, cause I didn't have any words for it. You know, so I just thought this is an interesting thing. Um, you know, I, I was still being the teenager sometimes, uh, you know, during, during that summer. And people didn't ne necessarily know that there was anything different going on internally. Mm -hmm. and, I, and that was partly by design. I did not want to, I felt like I ought not to share uh, what was happening I, because I didn't want it to be trampled upon or, or, you know, I didn't want to sort of reveal it to the adult world that I felt still had some sort of polar sway over me. And so, I, you know, I kind of kept it to myself and then, you know, I went back to school at, in August and then I, I really tried at that point, it was starting to fade away. And I thought, Oh, let's, let's, you know, I want to be the normal person again. I want to kind of get back on the track that I was on. Before. That never works. <laughs> it did not work. It, 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 to other people, it looked like it was working. Like, you know, I did all these things and, you know, it was class president and, and this and that. And, and, every, you know, it was really, running a convincing act on, on others and myself, but there was, I was miserable. You know, mm -hmm. I was absolutely miserable and I just didn't know why, why, you know? And, and so when, when the next summer came, I was really like, okay, now I've got the time and space. Let's see if I can use these three months to kind of try to find what the hell was happening. So, you know, I started doing a lot of extreme sort of stuff. I figured I got to get back to that place, you know, whatever the hell it was. 
and you know maybe it was you know proximity to death that triggered some sort of um, trick tripped me into a different gear so I started kind of you know, um, you know cautiously uh, you know I would I would there were some retaining walls in my town that you know had sandy beach at the bottom of them I figured okay I'm not gonna kill myself here but it's still gonna be scary as hell so I would jump off of them and and uh, I would you know be on a friend's property with they had a golf cart and say like let's get this up to 20 you know and then I would ju <laughs> jump out and and so to see if that would do something and and it, it and you know uh, I was in a car once of you know said of an older teenager and I just bailed out the door on oh my goodness <laughs> and it was just like you know um, it didn't work. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't work. And I was like, when, when actually it was the golf cart that kind of made me decide to stop because I, I forgot that you're supposed to roll when you jump out of a moving vehicle and hit the surface. And I, I just jumped onto my two feet and then found gravity. Just oh. all my weight went on this arm. And I thought, oh, shoot, I broke my left arm now. And, <laughs> and I didn't. So I, I decided to take other means. I started to um, tell um, strangers or anybody who I was afraid to um, tell embarrassing secrets. Uh, you know and embarrassing feelings I would I would just without any hesitation start telling them um, and just I decided oh, if I can be as honest as I can let's see if that works and and that actually brought me a little bit into hmm. into presence but it did not not deeply so it was it was um, grace that kind of came in I was tagging along with my older sister as, as I tended to and uh, she was home from college and she wanted to get some incense at the metaphysical store so um, I actually had no interest in metaphysical bookstores, despite all the, the mystical and esoteric things I like. They, they just, I would see the window and I'd see incense and dream catchers and, and, and angels. And I just wasn't interested in those things. But I went in with her like a dutiful little brother. And, you know, she was looking and I, I kind of went to the back to the books and just opened some up at random on, on sort of um, Himalayan yogis and their experiences. And I just open to a page and it sounded an awful lot like the territory that I was experiencing. So at that moment I was like, Oh my God, you know, this, it was just like, like a bell went off inside me. And, and, uh, you know, I was, I was picking up on my homing signal that, mm -hmm. and it was, there was such a, the hairs went off on my body and there was such a pull in my, in my heart. And so I basically stayed in, I was I, I made myself a very frequent visitor to that to that metaphysical bookstore for the next two years and hmm. and yeah then, then I was uh, read everything I could and what was your first meditation like I mean you you write that there were sometimes six hours I mean did you jump right into that <laughs> oh hell no I was I was still, yeah, so I was still trying to keep one foot in the in the normal world and one foot in the uh, the, what I call the the crazy monk that I sort of felt within me. And, and right. I, I was not necessarily wanting to be that because, you know, I didn't want to sort of totally let that, that, uh, those, those desires out because God knows where it was going to take me. So I, I was, I was trying to do things very gradually. I was even a little bit afraid of meditation uh, mm -hmm. because I thought that, you know, I did have a very busy mind and I, and I, I thought my mind was a good mind and I, and I didn't want to lose my mind. And some of the Buddhist books I read were, were actually quite confusing to me because they would say, and then in enlightenment, you will no longer exist uh, or something like that. And it's like, well, what's, what's the point of it then? <laughs> How is that? You know, it's just my, my mind just did not have the subtlety to kind of uh, read between the lines and get at what they were talking about. And, and so, yeah, it took a little while. I, I remember my, my first session, I wasn't trained by anybody. I'd watched the film. I loved the film, The Little Buddha. And, and I just sort of like aped 
um, you know, what they were doing, I went out to the the nature preserve in my town and, and sat down in the, the best version of uh, Lotus posture I could and just, you know, just started doing it. And not really to any great effect, but I was a little bit proud that, okay, I've journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So it's you know, <laughs> like, okay, we, we started. And, and so it was just gradually over the next few years, different, I would kind of, I was doing a lot from books and I would do, I had some mentors come into my life who taught me all sorts of different kinds of things. And, and then eventually at, at age 17, uh, it was just in me. I was, I was thinking, I really need to do this, you know, because I was sure that uh, at that point that um, the purpose of human life and, and perhaps maybe my life in, in particular, since I was feeling it so, was to, was to really experience these higher states of consciousness. Because I, 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 at that point, I realized how um, gummed up I was again. I'd, I'd read a book previously that told me that most of my problems were because I was shooting myself in the foot and, you know, it had to do with my own ego. And I, I threw it across the room. You know, I said, like, <laughs> what do you know about my life? And, and, and it actually hit the wall and it, it landed on the floor. And for the next year, I didn't move it. I didn't touch it. I didn't move it. It was there in the same spot. I would walk around it and, and kind of look at it. And then after about a year of, of thoroughly having... Um, thoroughly uh, making mistakes that I knew were all on me, uh, then, then I, I picked it up again and I started uh, doing some meditation practices. Um, and eventually this evolved into a practice that, and I love this, you write that um, it gets people to the quickest possible growth and awareness. And I think a lot of people ask near-death experiencers, uh, I want to have a near-death experience. I want to have this expanded <laughs> consciousness. I want to be there. And so usually we do say meditation, you know, keep meditating, you know, keep meditating. And eventually, you know, like there's, there will be this break, you know, there will be this moment where you're, you know, out of your body or you're just in this other realm and meditation offers that. Um, but what, what do you, how do you get people there quickly, that quickest possible growth? What, what do you do in that meditation and how did that evolve? Sure. Um, so I was, I was like having, you know, I, before that, before the one that I, like, I teach now and been practicing for a while, I was doing all these sort of efforting practices and, and, and breathing and, uh, which I think are good meditations, but it would, it would be like, you know, at the end of a two hour session when I'd almost exhausted myself uh, at night that I would, I would fall into this, this space that I knew from, from the car accident and from childhood that'd be like, Oh, finally. You know? <laughs> and then it was like, I, I kind of was the way I was doing, it, I was kind of exhausting myself until, until I let go. Um, and, and so I was kind of at a certain point, I'd gotten a hold of Yogananda's um, autobiography of a Yogi and, and when somehow opening that book was just, worlds were being opened within me and my heart was being just filled with this sense of possibility and with this connection to uh the the deep love that that you know yogananda poured into it and and st somehow i i knew that i could be effortless that there was an effortlessness to this that there was something innate about experiencing higher states that were not going against the grain were, were actually going more with the grain and and so I would. I, he also made this promise in the book that if you pray to Babaji, um, <laughs> Babaji will hear you. And I said like, oh yeah. He's like, I trust you, Yogananda. So I just I would just I was talking to Babaji like a like, like a crazy man at night. I'm saying like, to whom it may concern, you know, please help me find my path. I'm I'm I know what I'm doing right now is not um, the fastest and it's not optimal. So 
I will be as receptive as I can, you know, and, and like anything that can, that can help me sort of move in this direction is much appreciated. And, and so it didn't take long before, um, you know, my, my sister and I founded this um, thing called the Lake Geneva Metaphysical Society. And, and one, of the, one of the people that, uh, the first person that we thought we should invite named Josiah, we, uh, we in, in invited him to, to that. And, and he had this, did this practice called the Ashaya's Ascension. And uh, he, he, I had actually talked to him about it it must have been eight months before because a, a mutual friend who worked at the grocery store thought we should, uh, you know, uh, talk to each other. And, and at that time, I was actually doing that teenage thing where I was pretending to know what he was talking about, uh, but, but really, really didn't. I, you know, I was 16 or so. And, and so now, like a year and later, um, we have him at the metaphysical society meeting and at at the end of it you know we're doing a meditation i'm doing my practices he's doing this thing i could tell that you know he was touching into presence it was it was palpable and i was like okay you know this this guy's as serious as i am you know in this sense and you know he, he later ended up marrying my sister um oh, you know, wow. she, yeah they went they went home and they they talked for hours you know and, <laughs> and, and so he became a regular you know fixture at the house and and sometimes they had a late uh bedtime it was like they they would go to bed at 3 a.m i would get up at 3 a.m we'd often pass each other on the stairs me going down them going up Aww. and 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 so you know i i wasn't planning to do his practice i was really kind of very stubborn and you know committed to what i was doing but then one day um i was coming home from uh you know doing my little i founded the lake geneva environmental society too so <laughs> it just consisted of me picking up garbage um, and <laughs> that's all it consisted of um from the from the creek and from the streets and and so i came home and he he just said hey we're going to go to a course in minneapolis this weekend um and i've got some extra money in my bank account to pay the course fee do you want to come and i just said yes there was just such a um, such a feeling to, to say yes. And so what made this different from all the, the trying was that it's, it's a sort of a mantra based practice. You know, there's, everybody has different dispositions. So I never, you know, like to proselytize or, 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 or force my practice, you know, down people's throats or something, but it's a mantra based practice and it's meant to be done effortlessly in that, um, <laughs> like previously, I, I had this understanding that the mind was kind of like a monkey that, that sort of needs to be controlled. I had, and that made sense to me. I thought, oh, yes, you have to first learn concentration. And then once you're able to do that, then you'll be able to, you know, kind of relax into deeper strata. But this practice was completely different philosophically. It, it was, no, don't control the monkey. Instead, you want to give it something that's pleasing. You want to feed it ideal bananas. Uh, and preferably, you know, um, seed thoughts that have a tendency instead of moving the mind outward that just seem to have the strange natural tendency of pulling the mind down into more relaxed, fundamental, vaster states of awareness back to the source of the mind itself. And, and so, you know, I was, I was so skeptical that these, these short little phrases that were actually in English and, and based on appreciation, gratitude, and love, when they put them up on the board in the class, I was very skeptical. It's like, you know, I've come here for this, you know, but, uh, but then the teachers, you know, looked over at me, they must have been a little bit psychic or intuitive, uh, because they said, even it will even work if you, if you actively disbelieve in it. <laughs> and it's just, you know, yeah, that was, that was kind of cool. And, and so, you know, there I was, um, closing my eyes, following their, their really nice instructions. And, 
I was thinking, oh my God, I'm in a class with middle-aged, lazy spiritual seekers, you know, just <laughs> fix, you know, all sorts of thoughts like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was thinking, oh, this is probably bullshit. And then I, I, I was there, you know, I, I felt it, it was as if this silent presence welled up or came from some sort of subterranean spring within my consciousness, within my body. And I was completely immersed in it. And yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, when people have trouble with meditation, that sounds like a great tool for them. And, and I use that. So it's, it's weird. I don't know if you feel this way in your practice now, but if I'm in a good place, I can just go you know, into meditation and I don't really need any help. You know, I'm just there in that beautiful place. But if I've had a really trying day or I'm really stressed out or I'm agitated, then I do need a mantra or I do need, you know, something that kind of gets me there. Um, does that make sense? Uh -huh. but, you know, yeah. like better psychological states don't require as much of that <laughs> when you're practice, I guess, with meditation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe yes, maybe no. Um, I, I think, yeah, generally that could be the case. Uh, that is something I did have liked about the Ascension practice is that you can enter it from wherever and it's just yeah. as good. Like it, it's not any better if you're happy. It ain't any better if you're you're sad or pissed off or whatever. Uh, it's like mechanical that way. Uh, oh, and, and that it's like, it'll, it'll work no matter how you feel about it. I, I like that because I, you know, I was always, I felt myself like a bit of a spiritual scientist. So anything that would work despite me was good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and I, I found that out throughout my um, practice, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't long after I learned that practice. I mean, it was the end of the course. I came up to the teachers and said, hey, do you have a monastery? I can be I, I can be prepared to to leave uh, my home and come to your monastery within 48 hours. You know, I just, you know, because I was already kind of set up for it. You know, I'd given away most of my possessions. I turned my room into a little monk's quarters. Wow. Um, and, and so, you know, it, but it was three months, uh, about three months later, eh? Yeah. Three months later that I found myself, I was already living in Seattle, moved there from Wisconsin. And then there was this monastery, there were a couple of different monastery type places associated with this practice. One up in BC where I'd kind of be an illegal alien and one <laughs> down in Oregon. And my heart, my heart was pulling me to this Oregon place. And I went down there and, you know, kind of, you know, spent the next six and a half years living in a, in a meditation community uh, in Oregon and other places around the world. Wow. Uh, and, and so that there was, um, oh yes, that was a bit of a digression too. There, there was that, <laughs> that sense of, um, I remember we had this little cafe um, that we worked in like a, a monk run cafe and I, and we were, you know, sensitive to put the energies that we put in the food and often customers would come and say like, oh my God, I can sense the energy in these potatoes or this bread. <laughs> As I, one day I was really pissed off because the, <laughs> because the convection oven wasn't working. And that was like that for, for the like, and it was breakfast and I needed all these potatoes to get cooked quickly because they're in every <laughs> dish. And I was, you know, I was kind of the chef at the time. I was swearing up a storm. Um, you know, uh, uh, I was like, oh, fucking stupid potatoes, you know, and whatever <laughs> else. And I could probably be heard a little bit. And, and one of the, uh, my, my co-monks, you know, came in to the ticket window and said like, hey, Ishtar, you know, like, they're going to feel that energy you're putting in the food, you know, <laughs> and I was like, no, no, don't worry. I've been, you know, even though this is what's coming out of my mouth and you can probably feel the feelings here, I've been, I've been using these, te the techniques with the eyes open 
uh, like you can and and I've been touching this deeper place I just need to have this these you know I just need to swear a little bit to kind of move move this energy and it's like it's going to be okay and, and she was pretty much I think she was a little betting that you know like I was going to be screwing up the energy of these potatoes <laughs> so what was interesting that day was you know I didn't I, maybe she was right so I, I put the put the breakfast out, you know, eventually the potatoes got cooked, you know, through some miracle of the non-convection oven. And, and so this was the only time that actually customers came to me personally at the ticket window, showing me their clean plates. And, and one um, gentleman who'd had, you know, one of the batches in question, you know, came and said, I, I'm, I'm not usually sensitive to energies, but these potatoes are the you know, the, the, there's something in these potatoes, you know, <laughs> you know, are you guys, are you all monks? You know, I think you're monks or something like that, but what have you did to these, you know, that was amazing. And, and then, you know, two other people kind of came to, came back with their, with their compliments. And I, I kind of, I, I won't call it a smirk, but I kind of gave a little, you know, uh, look like that to, to my interlocutor. And, and I, was, you know, I, was like, oh, yeah, I told you so, you know, and so, you know, that, that stuck with me that, that, that there's a sense, um, cause, often as um as as a younger teenager i really i was trying to better myself you know i was trying i would look at my bad habits and i was really trying to be mindful of you know uh using the right words having the right energy in my interactions being really uh you know trying to be outwardly kind in as many ways as possible uh, but sometimes that would just get exhausting or I would, I had this little book, for instance, before all this, where, where I would put my faults down. And if I committed one of them, I'd put a check mark in it. And, and so I know it was, I was crazy, and, but, but, you know, in earnest, really earnest about it. But with this practice, it was, it was as if, you know, before there's this, there's this quote by Henry David Thoreau that's kind of goes, for every thousand striking at the leaves of evil, there's one striking at the root. And, and in a sense, with, with this practice, it was just, you know, I was, I was, instead of trying to take care of the leaves and the branches of the tree of my life, I was just feeding the root constantly, just watering the root. And, and I didn't have to pay as much attention to every little, you know, potential fault. And it, they, they just had a tendency of smoothing themselves out for the most part. I love that metaphor. And, you know, near-death experiences are often very simple in the wisdom. And, and a lot of times the wisdom is very simple, get to the core of something. And, and when you're focusing on the core of love that we are, you know, and the core of awareness that we are, then everything kind of works itself out in a sense, you know, that when that is there and that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, there's There's something that you wrote that I wanted to ask you about. And you write about consciousness being more aware of consciousness unfolding through patterns and archetypes. And, you know, as an English professor, I love archetypes and you know, talking <laughs> about these, these patterns. And uh, could you tell me a little bit more about what, uh, what conclusions you came to that brought you to that place? Oh, boy. <laughs> I'll do my, my best. I'll do my best. Yeah, in like five minutes, just like sum it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, try to be, I'll try to be cogent and interesting no. here. Not, not, you know, try to avoid gobbledygook. But, um, you know, well, okay, I'll, I'll put it like this. I'll start, at least I'll start here. Um, you know, from that, you know, the, the, the NDE especially, you know, and then the meditation afterward, as if put me into this deeper, calmer strata of my nervous system. And, and from that place, you know, the, the, 
you know, all the chatter of the mind that was there before, much of it really subsided. And, and so from that place, it was like the perceptions became more refined or clearer because there was less clutter in the way. And, and what really started to become more and more apparent was what were, were, were as if sort of, and I'm a bit of a platonist anyway, so I'm, I'm predisposed to these sorts of things. Were, were there these, I started seeing these underlying patterns that seemed to be moving in people's lives and, and not necessarily in a, in a surface, which isn't so bad. I keep seeing one, one, one everywhere, which, which sometimes I think is a window into an underlying reality. But if it's taken just from the surface, it's a very different experience than, than if there's that, that you know, proximity to that, to that silence and, and that, that deep calm, there, there's, there's a lot more that can be seen from that place. And so people, more and more people, things, objects, trees, there was a sense that behind them is this vast sort of, first of all, there's that vast presence at the bottom of everything, but in between the presence and the tree, there are all these like, like structures or geometries that are, that seem to be kind of giving rise to the, to the forms that we, that were more attenuated to seeing, um, you know, from our conditioning. And, and, it, you know, reality can often be a very musical thing in, in the sense that, you know, every, you know, like for instance, people, they give off, everybody can tell that different people give off different feelings or different, mm, different you know, different vibes, sort of, as we different say. Vibe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was just more of like, a, yeah, like a, like a deepening or, or a, a refinement or a, 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 of, of, you know, seeing and feeling into people's vibes, you know, that they become, they became more three-dimensional, more layered. Uh, there was more precision and sort of almost like teasing out different, just like different parts in a symphony, different parts in the symphony that people are putting out. And, and so, yeah, that would, that those like larger patterns are what I would, you know, kind of call archetypes in, in the Jungian sense. And yeah. So not the typical, I mean, or maybe you did, did you see like the typical archetypes like, Oh, he's very much a warrior. Or, oh, she's very much a priestess, you know, like archetypes in that sense. Like, did you see that too? Some, some of that, yeah, some of that, yes, yes, absolutely. But maybe, um, you know, sometimes there are other patterns that, that I don't quite have, you know, read those broad-based ready words for. Maybe they became even more specific. Um, you know, there's a sense like, you know, some people, it, it just seems that their background music is Wagner. You know, and other people, their background music is Vivaldi. You know, people people are caring. And those both, or, or Tchaikovsky, you know, some, you know, people do you, have do the... You, do you hear Mozart in mine? <laughs> Oh, um, uh, there's a lot actually. Uh, <laughs> that question. Um, I, I, I'm seeing, um, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of waltzy stuff though. Oh, um, I'm seeing like um, also, you know, there are layers of of Tchaikovsky and Strauss that are that are happening as, as well as you know airier airier stuff like Mozart. But it feels more feely than Mozart. You know, Mozart could be a little airy. There's more feeling, so hence I go with Tchaikovsky. Oh yeah, um, for you a bit. Um, <laughs> cool. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Powerful. <laughs> yeah, and, and Debussy, Debussy as well. Oh yes. I mean, there, there's yes. there's a real. Um, and, and maybe sati a little bit, but there, there's a real kind of watery, but air and water kind of coming together with, with enough fire to kind of, you know, have a, some cymbal crashes and, and uh, <laughs> strong, nice. strong gestures. I get it now. I get it how you're seeing the music in some way. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, you know, that's, that's, you know. Yeah, it kind of lends itself to astrology, which you said you ended up um, getting involved in too. Like, <laughs> I guess, you know, as you were saying, air and water and fire. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm I'm speaking astrologies here a little bit. Yeah. 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 I mean, most of my, my life, of course, I was always interested in, 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 you know, that sort of thing from a kid, but for a while, 
first I had a, you know, was raised with a very scientific mind. I thought, oh, this is fun, but it's probably BS, you know, or most definitely BS. I had a very ambivalent uh, view to it. Then, then, you know, later on, I was like, okay, I think there's something here, but this is not going to give me ultimate freedom from suffering. This is not going to be a quick path for me to get into presence. And so I, I kind of shelved that and many other things. And then after really sort of kind of having that presence, you know, become a stable, um, stable thing in life, then, you know, it was 2015, I'm in Vancouver, BC, you know, like, let's, let's, you know, let's dive into astrology a little bit again. I had, had a, a dear friend named Rob Inglis up there, who is who's a, a longtime Zen meditator, but also poses as a astrologer and fortune teller, as he describes it. And you know, we had some fun, and my 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 interest, my previous interest in astrology was really rekindled. And I realized that, yeah, this is just a language of archetypes, you know. And I, I dug deeper into Jung's fascination with it, and I'd always been fascinated with Jung and the psychoanalyst because that was that's what my mother trained in before before she passed and worked as a therapist. And and so I was like, yeah, this is I I felt all of these structures you know in people without having the knowledge in in my head and this this for me is this almost like a, a lens through which i can sort of refine my perceptions of, of the the inner dynamics of people and the in some ways the broader dynamics of society uh and and so it became you know i i, I dove into it and i read you know worked with rob and i I read as many books that, as I could, and I, I started giving sort of free readings for uh, friends and family or, or by donation. And, and it started to seem like, you know, I think I'm doing a pretty good job here. So I, you know, I decided, <laughs> well, okay, um, I'll put out a shingle and, you know, I'll kind of, you know, do this as well. And so that, you know, that, that kind of developed some steam over the last few years. Yeah. yeah and for people who've never had their chart done, I always say, oh, get your full chart done. Because yes. That makes so much more sense. Oh my <laughs> God. Oh my God. Yeah. Newspaper astrology and most internet astrology is crap. Right. I mean, my friends would say all astrology is crap and they're, you know, fine, reasonable people, but I just can't, I can't agree. But, right. but yeah. Yeah, yeah that, when I got my full chart done, I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense because, you know, I'm a Capricorn, but I don't really resonate with that. But I'm a Sagittarius rising. I have like five fire signs <laughs> in my chart. And I'm like, okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, that you, you kind of have to combine there. there it's, an, it's an archetypal language with sort of three layers of different archetypes. You have, you have a planet, you have a, a sign, and you have a house. And, and to kind of get at an astrological atomic bit, there has to be a synthesization of, of all three of those archetypes. And then you can start building the, you know, a, a really good interpretation of the dynamics of a chart. So yeah, yeah, the, the full chart is, is essential. Yeah. Right. And then how it transits in certain parts in your, your life. There was um, an astrologer who interviewed me and she actually looks at where near death experiences um, hit the chart. And mine was definitely in my chart, you know, at, at 22 when wow. it happened. And so yeah. And like there was even, you know, a capacity for accidents and for, um, you know, various things. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 But I find that interesting too. Like some astrologers are studying, you know, those spiritual set points that maybe we come in planning those. Right. I, I, I definitely, I, I, I so felt that my NDE was planned as it was, as it was happening, you know, especially with the precognition, but you know, there, there was always a sense that life was a bit script-like. I, I couldn't ever fully commit to either a deterministic view or, or a view where I had, you know, full, you know, a, a random uh, sort of choice, a free will. I, I, I kind, you know, kind of thought both were poor terms for what's really happening. You know, like the, our linguistic nets at that level are just not prepared to, to grasp 
the actual mechanics of reality. Um, yeah. Yeah, well said. So I would like to just end and let you talk about um, what it is you think that people need most um, from you. So what, what are you often getting asked from people? You know, is it their suffering that they want to release? You know, like we all, we all get these questions, I think, as near-death experiencers. And what are you finding that, that people are asking you and what are you providing through your knowledge? Well, I think I provide a means so that people don't have to have a near-life experience. You know, that, I mean, my near-death experience made me realize that I wasn't, even as a 13-year-old, I wasn't really living. You know, I, I, that was the big thing. I, I, it was like having a 50-pound bag of potatoes taken off me that I didn't even know was there. All of that fear, all of that anxiety, that all of those times I would go into fight or flight and there, there was no saber-toothed tiger around. You know, there was no use for that. <laughs> Adrenaline. Uh, it, was, it was just being wasted on, on, on neuroses and anxiety. And that was there because I, I had forgotten who I really was. And that, that's the human condition. So, what, you know, my main work and I think the, the, the main positive service that I can be helpful with people is just to teach them how to fish in the sense of, you know, teaching a good methods a good method to come back into that that wholeness that we all know even if we've forgotten it even if we've been 60 years um making ourselves suffer and you know kind of tightening our nervous system up it doesn't have to take 60 years or 60 lifetimes to to unwind and at least begin to connect in and and experientially you know not not in some sort of you know is this really happening or is this my mind stuff sort of way but in a real sort of felt palpable shift into into presence and and being and you know that to me is what we're here for ultimately is we're we're here to come back to that we're all the prodigal sons and daughters of god and we're just the kingdom of, of heaven is all around us everywhere and and the only thing that's keeping us from seeing it is are these conditioned patterns of resistance that that you know to, for no fault of really anybody we've just picked up and and kind of perpetuate but once we once we kind of you know remember how to naturally kind of dive back into into that source and we, we keep up with it, then, you know, it's almost like a fait accompli. And it's just a matter of time, how much time we have left and, you know, using our, using our time in the most productive way possible. That's beautifully said. And I don't want to leave people with just that though. Like what are some tips that people can do to get to that space of letting anxiety go and really, you know, feel that presence when in your experience? Okay. Um, well, Find, I'm, I'm biased, find a meditation that's going to work for you. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's hard to know. If you haven't tasted enough chocolate, it's hard to know what the good chocolate <laughs> is. So that, that's a dilemma. And, you know, I'm not gonna, just going to say, like, eat my chocolate, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like that. But, but, you know, really go, you know, commit some time to it. Give yourself the permission to, you know, if, if you have to throw everything, including the kitchen sink at this area, you know. But sit down, meditate consistently, regularly. Just like, it's like playing the piano. It's better to do a couple sessions of 15 minutes on either end of the day than it is to just go a whole week and then, you know, put two hours on a Sunday. Little, little bits of regularity are, are, are so important, you know, just little immersions, little, little baptisms into spirit. Um, so commitment is, is the most important thing. And also, um, you know, being innocent with yourself is what I tell to every single one of my meditation students. Uh, you know, in, in this case, when, when I first showed up at the monastery, I was out of high school. And so they were always telling me, don't grade your own paper, Ishtar, you know, <laughs> and, and there's, you know, it's, and I was still kind of, I was a real innocent, but even then, give yourself, let yourself experience 
give yourself the permission to experience life as if you're a child again. And because often in, in sort of the, the meditation game, all of that self-checking that we've, we've learned to, you know, um, utilize in our life is sometimes not particularly helpful because we're, we're sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's our natural state, but in some ways it's also a bit of an undiscovered country. We're coming back into it. And we don't always actually know that. It, it's like traveling from Illinois to Wisconsin. We don't always often know that we're in, in, in Wisconsin until we hit Milwaukee. And, you know, we're, you know, we're about an hour in at that, that point. And so, you know, be easy on yourself in that sense. But at the same time, you know, have a little fire and, and commitment to it because you'll need it. You know, it's, it's, you know, sometimes we, we have challenges and tests that come up along the way and we have to show what we're committed to and, 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 you know, stick to it. And, and when we do that, it, it's as if some, some door opens to us in, in just the way that Campbell talks about it. When you're, when you're committed, um, you know, f the, the forces of grace will, will descend into your life and, and, and meet you and doors will open that you didn't even in places where you didn't even know. Beautiful. And I love, I love that idea of, um, I was told to be like a little child and in my near death experience. And, <sighs> and so I've pondered, you know, there's great wisdom in simple statements like that. It was like, well, what does it mean to be like a little child? But it, I think it is that access to presence and that access to not judging the self and just, um, you almost have to play to some degree you know, to yeah. get into that space. And, and when you can do that, you get there quicker in this yeah. weird way. Cause you're not, um, there's not all that, Oh, is this really right? Am I doing it right? <laughs> you know, like there's, there's not that judgment. I, I, I'll share a little bit more. I don't know how much time we have, but this is funny. I actually, I, I, uh, that must have been a week or two after coming to this um, monastic community in Oregon. Um, I was, I build myself to myself and he was this Mr. Intense, you know, we're going to get this enlightenment <laughs> thing by just being so intense, you know, and so ascetic. And I, I started having this dream where I was in a forest and there was a little boy must have like, looked like me at six years old. And, and he was just joy filled and mirthful. And I kept in the dream trying to chase him, but the, the harder I chased him, the, the more elusive he became. And so it must've been the third night that I had this dream that I real I kind of woke up in it and I realized oh, that's, that's, you know, that's what I've been striving hard for. I'm just not going to chase him. And then he came right up to me, you know, so there's, there's kind of, you know, like, like the Buddha had to find his middle path, you know, he couldn't be a crazy ascetic, but he couldn't also be lazy. But if we kind of, you know, are consistent, take care of ourselves, but at this and and have that fire, but are innocent, then, you know, it's, it's like God consciousness, whatever you want to call it, it's trying to come to us. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Yeah, and so many things tend to blend in that space. Like people talk a lot about manifestation, and I think that's a key place to manifest. You know, that yeah. if you're in this place of play and happiness and joy, yeah. like a kid, but also doing the work. You know, like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, 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 like, it's like what a great martial artist or dancer or an athlete is going for. You've, you've done the preparation, you, you've, you've got this muscle memory, but you, if, you, if you play too hard, it just won't work. But if you play loose, if you're in that, if you're in that silent space, if you're in that open place, then you're going to play the best, and and then you'll 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 hit the hit those notes every time. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. This has been beautiful. Loved it. Thank you, Trish. It's my it's absolutely my pleasure.
And um, for those of you watching, uh, you can find more um, about Ishtar and his practice and uh, his events around the country, actually. So I'll have those links below and I'll have my writing workshop links and links to the book below. But thank you very much and may you be blessed.